dad bod rap pod we are back we are still in jail some of us more literally than figuratively um but we're here man and this is episode 100 some odd we have migrated to the world of zoom so many of you understand the uh the kind of audio quality and timber of zoom uh so you know rock with this Give, give us some forgiveness in this period, but it's good to see the bros. My name is Demo Carter, aka Dim One. I am joined by uh, Wolfman Nate LeBlanc. Uh, hey, hey, hey! I trimmed my beard. <laughs> this, this is trimmed. Holy shit! Yeah, okay. you should see the back of my neck. That's where it's very wolfen. Yeah, <laughs> I miss my barber so much. Man, so much, so so much. Uh, a guy who apparently doesn't miss his barber is uh, <laughs> Mr. David Ma. How's it going, man? It's going well, man. It's going well, guys. I wish I could reach through the screen and touch your beards. <laughs> so, but uh, you almost can. You almost, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be long enough pretty soon. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm Asian, so this is this is my full beard. <laughs> yeah, so. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're 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 back. Uh, the gang's back together on Zoom. We are just coming off of Easter weekend. And I think that this was probably the weirdest Easter since the first one. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I would have said on record, but the first one was kind of wild, if you think about it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, you know, one day seems to melt into the other, so... Uh, didn't do too much. You guys do anything of noteworthy, extravagant? Not really. No. Uh, I had a family chat thread, and my funny cousin Jeff like kicked it off, and he's like, "Okay, I'll be there at noon. I'm bringing beer. What are you guys bringing?" And then for like three or four rounds of comments, people could stick with the construction of the joke, you know. But then it just evolved into, "I miss you guys." And I wish we could be doing this for real. And I'm like, okay, that's depressing. I'm here for jokes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I don't really do Easter. I'm not a religious person and I don't need people to put my candy inside of weird plastic eggs. If I want candy, I just eat it. So I haven't really done Easter for a while, but I would have went yesterday given the circumstances of how weird the world has been if we could have had our family thing. But uh, yeah, it was a nice day. We took a walk. I brought my house plants outside to get some okay that's like that okay. was about the level of the kind of day it was for me gangsta <laughs> <laughs> we found out we have 17 house plants right yes really exciting all right uh yeah no didn't do shit overslept and then rose and then didn't do shit uh, <laughs> but but i did um start a little Little engagement on on the bird over on Tweet Street. Um, I woke up noonish thinking about uh, the resurrection, and by the resurrection, I mean Common's album resurrection. <laughs> and you know, I be having thoughts. I was like, resurrection is this hip hop's greatest comeback album? And so before I really thought it out too much, I put it on Twitter because that's what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to think about it too much. Question on Twitter. And um, and there was definitely some great responses. Want to touch on some of those in this segment. But 
uh, I do want to just set this up a little bit because I really didn't get into it um, on Twitter. I just wanted to kind of let folks uh, have at it. But Common's album Resurrection comes after uh, his debut, Can I Borrow a Dollar? And in the thread, which is like 30 plus people, um, Can I Borrow a Dollar is remembered very, very fondly. And I distinctly remember at the time, there was this thing of debate about, is Common kind of a wacky dude? Is he biting DOS effects? Who, where is Chicago? Like, all of these things. Um, and so the reason why I felt like I could make this heretical post was because when Common dropped Resurrection, there was a tangible sense that he was coming back from something. He was mm. so. Um, I think he thought. Mm-hmm. It was his resurrection. That's why he titled it like that. Like he wasn't like thinking about the semantics of how many albums it takes before you're allowed to put out a comeback album. It was right. his comeback. He um, framed it that way. Yes, yeah. he and framed I, it that way. Right. I hate "Can I Borrow a Dollar." I find it to be basically unlistenable, and I love totally. "Resurrection," which I think has gotten an unfair reputation as being boring um, now. But like back then, that was about as high level of rhyming as you could get. It's a one producer album. Yeah, right. no idea. Um, it has great scratches by Mr. Sinista. Like it's mm-hmm. a very, very, very good record. I don't know if it's like an all-time classic, but it's a really, really good record and I, a record I've listened to a lot. Um, so I, I heard what you were saying, but um, yeah, it's, it was interesting how it got everything going, but the fact that he thought it was means that it is, I guess. Is my saying, yeah. Well, I think the semantic part is that like the comeback would be the third album, right? Because like the first of the de- is the debut, the second like you suck and then you come back full force for the third so i think uh that's sort of where the semantic um issues were but um i mean if that's the case then anybody with the first whack album is coming back on their second (laughs) kind of you know Um, like mob deep right 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 it's a a different group you know what I mean? It's like they're they're little kids essentially on the first totally. one, and the second one is like an all time classic. So right. it's interesting point of comparison. Um, and I I do want to uh, I want to flag a, a bunch of folks on the timeline did bring up um, Bob Deep second album, um, which I'll I'll say yes is definitely a reinvention. Um, uh, to your point, Dave, the the honorable and wise Odub. Uh, Oliver Wang on our timeline uh, posted this. Maybe this is pedantic to me. Your sophomore album can't be a comeback based on the basic understanding of the term itself. The earliest an artist could have a comeback album would be number three, following on a promising first pointing second. Um, so pretty much when O-Dub kind of tells you your whole premise is wrong, it is. <laughs> um, being that this is the internet, we will continue this this segment a little bit further. Um, a lot of people pointed out uh, that Common's album, they consider Common, Common's album B to be his real comeback record, which is super interesting to me. Mm-hmm. With Electric Circus coming before him, his uh, I've Been With Erica Badu uh, weird record, which I, I enjoy parts of for sure. Um, so there were a bunch of folks, including Eric Tulis, uh, considering all of the hate that Electric Circus received, the comeback album is most certainly the one that followed it, which is B, which I, uh, 
kind of like me. It's, it's all right. It's kind of a weird thing that Common needs so many comeback records in his career. Right. Like, how many do you get if we're being right. semantic? Like, it's just, yeah. I don't, I don't know that he was ever irrelevant. And that's kind of the thing. It's like at the beginning, he's like the main guy from Chicago that's not Twista. Mm-hmm. And he's like carving his own lane. Then he just got kind of weird. And then he mm-hmm. came back from that with like with Kanye, which at a time where he, getting a Kanye pack was like probably the best thing that could happen to your career. Absolutely. Right. Um, and then I don't know. I don't, I don't, I, I see a better case for resurrection than for B because like he's, even if that was wasn't like artistically successful, it was a big record. Like it did, yeah. it did, I don't know, normal size, mid major label numbers, I imagine. Right. I had a copy at one point. Yeah, I don't know. It's a weird record for sure, though. I, I want to. Uh, I want to flag someone who totally agreed with me because that's, <laughs> how, you cherry, that's how you cherry pick. Um, so, Double uh, O DJ DJ Double O replied, "Yes, to this day, there has not been an album that has engulfed in such mastery of wordplay and no ID beats." complimented the vibe perfectly the album pushed the envelope in lyrics and creativity especially when resurrection fades out and fades back in shout out to a double o um 2001 was brought up a lot as a as a great comeback Mm, record and honestly if i would have sat down more than five seconds and thought about it um that is probably the biggest comeback record yeah, because the after what was it? Um, the aftermath thingy. The aftermath thingy just didn't didn't do the what he wanted it to. Yeah. Kind of yeah. So Dre was really on the. They thought Dre was done, and Dre was far from done. They forgot about Dre even. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So you know what was interesting? Our our guy uh, John underscore Liberator brought up a great point. Um, oh, and I'm hoping I can find his tweet. Um, he called out that some could say that uh, Supreme clientele was. Oh, I read that. I remember reading that. Yes. Yeah. yeah because, I was like, because oh, Ghost went to jail. Yeah. <laughs> not not because Iron Man was a disappointment, which we know it's a universally beloved classic. Right. There right. Is, it's impossible to find fault with. <laughs> <laughs> We all love it. Yeah, but because Ghost ten. went away, he was on Rikers, and then he came back with Supreme and like took took over the universe. So that's an interesting call. Yeah. That's an interesting call, but I don't know if like personal like matters matter. You know right. what I mean? Like he he went to Rikers and got some ice cream somewhere too. Like it, it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I I don't think I don't think the interim matters unless it it is really a part of. The right. By, the by that notion, wouldn't the first Death Row Tupac record be a comeback album? Is that in, me against in the a world? Way. Yeah. yeah. In a way. Yeah. Right. And that's that's like, you know, sold 10 million on a double CD and has like five mm-hmm. classic songs on it. It's a lot of filler, but that, that right. would have to be considered among. But we've kind of parsed out what the internet thought. What do we think are the best comeback records? Because I have one I don't think you guys are thinking of. What's, well, what's your thought? And it's my pet, my pet favorite to bring up in any situation. Psychoanalysis, Prince Paul. Ah, well played. He tried to kill his career, and he ended up resurrecting it. That's a comeback record. Yeah, yeah, that's a good okay. one. That's a good one. Uh, somebody mentioned Naughty by Nature. I don't I, remember the first record. Oh, dude, I they went by a different name. But see, my my semantic argument with that one is it's almost a reinvention 
It's more exactly. of an invention than, than a comeback. Right, right. I mean, like Bone Thugs and Harmony had like a first album before East Eternal. Right. You know what I mean? Oh, but do no they? One, I no didn't even know that. that. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, I mean, it's a little bit different when it's a completely different reinvention. And and sort of by that standard, I mean, you know, um, Common was riggedy rapping, so I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting framing. I don't know if this falls into the, the rebrand or comeback, and a couple folks pointed this out. Um, the Fugees, the score, ah. um, their first record is just not good. Mm-hmm. Not good. Um, I think, Nate, it has the same kind of problems that Can I Borrow a Dollar has, yeah. which has moments and was saved by the remixes. I want to point that out. Right. Can I Borrow a Dollar is more fondly remembered because you're remembering the soul by the remix. Um, mm, Billy that's fair. that record, um, and there was a couple of other Beat Nuts remixes that that made that record come together. Similarly, the Fuji's first record was not good at all in the yeah. story. <laughs> and vocab and nappy heads have cool remixes, so you remember right. it a little bit better. But clearly, they had not found their sound. No, right. And on the score, they completely found it. Right. Yeah. Where uh, they started committing fraud of all sorts. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, they, I think that for me would probably be, I'm still standing by Resurrection, but if I'm going to go with, uh, with my other pick, it would be the score. That's interesting. That's sure. a good one. I think um, Gangstar needs to be brought up as well. I mean, who talks about their first album? Yeah, they had, they had bad first album syndrome for sure. They had not nope. figured it out yet. No more right. Mr. Nice Guy? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Nope, I mean, nope, they're we're being super mean to them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, guys. I think at a certain point in the '80s, you just gotta give them a mulligan, man. They're just you're just figuring <laughs> it out. Like, Primo, I just got here from like fucking Prairie View, Texas, man. That was a- <laughs> <laughs> he hadn't even had time to hit the record store yet. For real, That's funny. For real. Um, uh, so- oh, well, while we're on the Primo, do you guys want to talk about the live stream event of the season? Everybody was there. Everybody was there. It was a real moment. I liked it. I, I, I viewed it as sort of um, an interactive experience. At first, yeah. I mean, by, by design, they're sort of boring, you know? But, you know, for it, just like, it, it, it was interesting to see what they thought of their own catalog. Mm. So it's like, oh, is Primo going to save Mass Appeal? Oh, shit. You know, like, so it was really nice to, it was really nice to see that. And, and like, it being... It was just very much in the moment. Like, I don't think anybody's ever going to rewatch it. But, like, right. being there and seeing, oh, there's Rakim. Rakim's in the house. You know, like, amazing. It was so cool seeing people score it like a boxing match. Like, watching right. it on Twitter was more fun than watching the watching the the battle. And we're talking about the RZA versus DJ Premier uh, IG Live battle from Saturday night, which just passed. We're recording this on Monday. So, two days after, we've all had time to kind of sit with it. I did not score it like a boxing match. That's like not how I think about music. And this one was more entertaining than a lot of the other so-called beat battle things that are happening where dudes play files at each other and then end up like mostly like praising each other the entire time, like such a mutual respect. And like, really, it was like kind of like the old head moment. You know what I mean? Like it was just like, we all love all of those songs. It was the funniest thing to me is how highly Riza thinks of Gravel Pit and how immediately right. the comments just turned on him. Totally, totally. <laughs> well, you know, uh, sort of to, to that point, I, I can't believe Primo wasted one of his choices on Das Effects. It was like pick number three. 
Yeah, real hip hop remix. Yes. Right? Yeah. Well, totally. Everyone's like, "What are you doing, dude?" And then super late in the game, busted the Christina Aguilera. Right. <laughs> that was after the official part. That was like the the after part. But it, people were grading everything that was played. I was like, I don't know, man. You probably got one better than that. Right. Totally. <laughs> totally. Just pick anything from Moment of Truth. You yeah. Know? Totally. Anyways. So that's it's interesting because um, I actually I did I did not watch it I. I'm not better than Instagram live battles, but the format is just, it's tough for me. Like I, I hear you. It does. Yeah. It, it just does not hold my attention, but I love the idea. And actually the way that it's done, they don't actually have to battle. We can just compare their cannons and say, right. <laughs> say like, right. You know what I mean? Like uh, right. who's got, you know, more, uh, more bigger records. Really? I think at the end of the day, this is the, the competition of, who has the most biggest records? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, an, another part of the appeal was like them talking in between the records and, you know, sort of dialoguing about what goes into what and the insights behind each thing. And I found, I found that super interesting as well. Yeah, uh, it was interesting to watch their setups too. It was like uh, RZA is like the master of self-branding, has his TV show playing on <laughs> TV in the background right. the whole time, the Afro Samurai joint. Uh, Rizzo right. was parenting during it. Like he was totally. asking his kids to go do stuff. That was really funny. Preem was in a studio kind of by himself and just kind of like doing Wu-Tang symbols at the camera the whole time. But like, nice. yeah, I, I think it's just a funny format. And the, I guess it's basically, these are like Jamaican sound clashes, like adapted, but right. it's not about who has the best system. And in some cases it's like, we can barely hear what's happening. Right. There's been no like settled audio format so it was just interesting but I, I liked hearing the stories i liked hearing the context um did mm -hmm. Riza end up playing any unreleased odb after teasing us all the day i before? don't believe so okay. i don't believe so I, he didn't even play cream what think, you yeah, were thinking so, about so was... you'd want to bust that one out <laughs> right right i i think um i think his sort of uh go-to uh big record was um uh method man mary j right I mean that is a big record. I don't know if that's a record you win a battle with. I know, totally. But it, it could have been, you know, um, it could have um, been uh, due to what Primo played before. I don't know. You know? Right, yeah. So that kind of makes it interesting. Like, oh, yo, well, what do you play off your travel kit? Like, you know, what, what does right. Riza match what Primo plays? Sound of you a know, garbage truck back, backing up? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the timeline exploded when he played Triumph. That was, yeah. that seemed to be yeah. the big thing, which like, I'm, yeah. I don't know how long they played the things for. I wasn't watching at that point, but that's a lot of the same violin riff for a long time. <laughs> that's a super <laughs> long only, song. They just played like the first 16. Yeah. But um, you know, it's funny. Then, I think, I think Triumph is, it, it seems like it's kind of taken over Cream as the, as the Wu-Tang joint. I think because of the video and because of how big they were at that time, right. it dropped, right. like it was right. so anticipated. Right. that people like freaked i freaked out about it when it came yeah. out i was just thought the video was so great it's funny mm -hmm. to watch now actually oh it's, it's really low level green screen but so but at the time <laughs> was was a huge mongus record what i'd like to see and maybe if um maybe if i get reckless and brazen today on twitter it would be interesting to see these battles posed as lineups primo's best nine songs versus riz's best nine songs right and, how would you order those things? Like you're saying, like like a baseball lineup kind of kind thing. of like yeah. this cream is cream the fucking power hitter number four. Right. What do you right. Do? Gravel pit never comes on. 
Right. That's like a pinch hitter. They're like, playing left out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, one, one thing that I found really, really interesting was the love, especially among like kind of like the Twitterati, like inside hip hop head dudes for Royce Boom. Like, uh, I don't know if you guys have yeah. gone back and listened to that song, but like, it's a, it's a really good song. It's much better than I remember it. And really? I don't think okay. I was really messing with Royce back then. I was like, oh, the guy who raps with Eminem sometimes. Right, right, right. Evil. Like, I didn't really know him. I just went back and I was like, damn, that's, that's a ferocious song. Like, okay. that was a really good choice by Preem to like put that back out into the ether. I'll have to totally. uh, check we, that we out. Listen, I... know, knowing what you know now, I think it's, it's, it'll hit you. A lot of my DJ folks really like that record. I remember not being super moved by it at the time, but yeah. mm-hmm. um, I will definitely circle back and check that out. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's funny. Sports is dead, but hip-hop keeps chugging along. Yeah, that's right. Through this whole shit. Thank God we didn't do a sports podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we would have been so uh, bored by now. What else do we have to, up today? Yeah, I've uh, I've I've kind of been thankful that we still have hip hop. Um, the show keeps moving along. Shout out to MVP Nate LeBlanc, who's been uh, single handedly holding it down while straight up while Dave's in Elmwood and, and I'm at a <laughs> monastery. Uh, but but we're we're back. We're kind of figuring out the technology pieces. We've got a, a dope show lined up for the listening public today. Uh, we've got an interview with some folks out of the Backwoods camp, which um, I love. Curly Castro described it as Backwoods is a writer's establishment. That's like, dope. Yeah, that's that's so apt. And this group definitely fits within that mold. Uh, we had Curly Castro, Primrock, who just released a project called Shrapnel. Uh, we have an interview with them. Those dudes are always dope. Um, Unfortunately, you cannot see Curly Castro uh, smoking weed and playing with his cats, but it, it, <laughs> it was a moment. Trust us. Yeah, it was. So when you hear when you hear the lighter flicking, um, it's actually either Dave on the yard or <laughs> Curly Castro uh, doing push-ups. I'm sorry, I'm making visual jokes, and I know this is just going to be audio. But anyway. I know, I know. Um, so we got that interview coming up. Um, we. We need to uh, we need to work on our Zoom background game. Uh, eventually, <laughs> I've got like a rug taped to my wall. Um, Nate, you're in my spot at your house. Right, That's true. It feels weird. Trust me. This is weird. Yeah. Leave a leave a bottle of Pellegrino there. Just <laughs> <laughs> it's actually funny. Um, this is this is very relatable for probably most of our uh, aging uh, listeners. My back hurts. Like I missed my uh, work setup. Like I, I had it all set up with my, my ergonomic stuff yeah. and like my I had a standing desk and I had all this stuff. And the other day I was working on like a stack of encyclopedias at the counter to try to get my game you back. And, yeah, dude, my I tweaked my back yesterday doing some stretching and now it's like I have to like lean up against the wall, otherwise I'm in pain. So Fucking being forty shit. is tight. Forty in twenty twenty, huh? Great. Yeah, yeah man. Uh, when we get to our next Zoom, Nate's going to be on one of those bouncy balls. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, I just drop out of the screen. Just see Shirtless. Feet. Oh, man. <laughs> um, so, 
so we we thank y'all for everybody playing along with our uh, our Twitter timeline shenanigans. As always, you can hit us up at Dad Bod Rap Pod uh, if you don't agree with any of the takes, and you probably won't. Um, but for today's episode, we want to get into this interview with uh, Backwoods affiliated group Shrapnel Dad Bod Rap Pod. Dad Bod Rap Pod coming to you live from Zoom land with another dope interview on today's program. We have a recently formed unit uh, that describes themselves as a Venn diagram of ill communication. Schooly D to Stromile Swift, Deaf Jooks to Deathless Shrimp. That's the copy, y'all, and that is the group. Shrapnel, uh, comprised of Curly Castro, who you guys might know from the program, and also Prim Rock. Welcome to the program, gentlemen. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Big fan of what you guys do. You guys are, uh, you guys are the upper echelon of hip-hop uh, podcast. So it's really enjoyed <laughs> The pleasure you. is mine. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it. Uh, no Prim. doubt. But I, I let Prim speak because he's way more eloquent than I am. Y'all might see a little more tempered down. I try to behave when I'm with Prim. This guy got, so. this guy's got so many reps as a podcast. Oh, he's got like eight podcasts, so he knows how the format works a lot better than oh, that. I can maybe write it down more eloquently, but, uh, you know, so it, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be active and staying uh, sane and productive right now because it is not a, not a normal time. No, it's, it's, it's really not, but uh, why don't you tell the folks a little bit, Prem, about, um, about your work and, and maybe kind of leading into the formation of Shrapnel and how that got going. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, if you're not familiar with my stuff, uh, um, I've been putting out music now for about a little over 10 years. Um, some heads know me from way back in the day as Premonition. That's kind of where the Prem Rock moniker comes from. So, so. I knew him back then. He knew me back then, back when I was a, a cocky uh, battle rapper. Um, uh, I've settled into my ways a little bit, uh, a little more wiser. But uh, yeah, I've been, um, you know, I've been down with Backwoods for a long time. I've been me and Willie Green. I was, you know, I was on Willie Green's wedding, so that's how I met Billy Woods. Uh, the connection there. That's how that formed. Uh, you know, started releasing music up in New York around 2009, and then, you know, it kind of blossomed and grew from there. So Backwoods has always been kind of a family affair. That's why this this project was the first time we put something out together. But I've known Woods for a long time, known Green for a long time. Um, so it was, you know, a matter of time before that came out. It felt really good to do something with them. Castro, I met uh, at a kind of like a battle. It was called Rhyme Calisthenics. It was a uh, an event that uh, challenged you with all these different kind of things that they're all improv, essentially. You'd spin a wheel and then you had to, you know, you had to, to pull a mirror out, you got to battle yourself, or you got to pick a girl out of the crowd and get her to, you know, come with you. Or it was, it was an interesting thing. And uh, the dude that ran it, he was out in Brooklyn, but he was from Pittsburgh. They were short a guy. They needed a guy to stand in. So I, I uh, went to Philly and, uh, 
ended up battling Castro. And it was, you know, it wasn't like aggressive. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, we weren't and, like, um, it wasn't like a head-to-head battle. It was and more Bill like, um, was trying to get in my head because I knew Zilla uh, just from, you know, the internet and, and doing some things. And I booked him in Brooklyn to do something uh, like earlier that year. And he was trying to get in my head. He's like, you're not going to be Castro. You're not going to be Castro. I'm like, fuck, who's this guy? I'm like, you know, <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I'm thinking I can't lose. This is, this is my wheelhouse. This is what I want to do. Ended up, so we ended up, you know, hitting it off and, uh, and became friends. And then from then on, that's kind of how it all started. And then, you know, before, you know, Wrecking Crew was something that was already in formation and I kind of got added to the fray a bit later, but uh, it was all really natural, all, all really organic. Um, so uh, I guess uh, I, I would, I add a different element to the, to the sound, to the crew. And, and you know, hopefully if it's your introduction to me, then you like what I do. That's dope. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah. so this this new record, Shrapnel, just came out. Uh, yourself, Castro. Uh, uh, it's kind of like a, a backwoods family thing. Can you talk a little bit about um, just kind of how you guys collaborated? Was it a remote thing where you kind of bouncing ideas back and forth? That's it's like a the rap world is different nowadays and that you can collaborate across the world really yeah. um so kind of how did it come together as a as a record between y'all cool I'll, I'll start with that um so i have he would come up to my apartment uh, we, we made the idea to make the record after i had a pack from elusive and he had a pack from elusive we were both aware that each other had a pack of beats from elusive and it was uh you know, early on, and in, 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 it was a couple of years ago now at this point, so Elusive wasn't all over producing, so he, I think we, we, we benefited from uh, having first crack at some of these sounds, and then we put it together, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a, re- you know, it was a revelation, and like a, a great idea that was sitting right in front of our faces, and he would come up to Harlem, he would, he would crash, we'd work until like super, super late, uh, or early, depending on what you looked at, and We'd take turns writing and recording. I had a studio. Then I had a studio that was uh, super accessible and uh, in in my house. I don't currently, but, you know, we would do, it was, I think, throwbacks, you know, sleeping on the couch. You know, he'd be crashing on the couch. I'd be recording. He'd wake up. He'd record, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, we each, we each have our own in, in, uh, inherent vices that we would indulge in and, and, and get, get our minds ready to, to do it. It was, you know. It's kind of a romanticized way to, to make a record, but it is it is how we did it. We did almost every down to the to the last detail of the record together. So. That's super dope because that's not something that necessarily happens all the time anymore. No judgment yeah. on remote uh, assemblage of records. Uh, that's pretty much all we yeah. got now. Um, but uh, Castro, I, I really wish that people could have a visual right now because I, I think I've seen you roll a blunt and then you have like a dog. <laughs> and a cat um, waiting for a horse to pull up. But uh, what was your, what was your approach on this, on this record? You, you've had a, a couple of joints out in the, the past couple of years. What mm-hmm. kind of, was there a different energy you were bringing to Shrapnel? Like how did that, how did you come into that work? Well, um, well, to be honest, the, 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 the writing on Shrapnel, we all did, you know, in the same space, which, is, which we said is, is really rare. And um, there's like a play, it's not a playful competition. It's just like, what do I need to do and what does Prem need to do to make this song just bang it? Like, so if I, if he started a, 
if, if he started it, then I had to match his level. If I started it, he had to match my level. If the hook started it, we had to, you know, meet the hook where it was at. So it was just, because I, I can't, I, to be honest, I can't sit there and say we were, like, competing with each other, but we were definitely, like, one-upping, like, oh, I, like, I'm like, oh, no, Prem's not watching me on this track. No, I got to come, yeah. come with this. I got to come with that. But but to truth be told, y'all, there was a lot of concepts and writing that was going on like simultaneously. So there wasn't a lot of cannabis LL type thing. It was just like, if I knew Prem was on like level eight, I was like, all right, I need to be on level seven and a half at the least. Um, and just a lot of natural writing. We would just sit there and write till five and six in the morning <laughs> and, you know, uh, pass out intermittently, write, um, record demos. He would fall asleep. I'd listen to his demo. I'd get some ideas um, and vice versa. So we were just trying to keep the blade sharp. And then it was just um, me and Prem had an idea because it was a Lucid Beats because we had Willie Green work. And we was like, yeah, we can pitch this to backwards. So right then you already know that the quality has to be of a certain level. And it's not to say that our solo material isn't, but you do go in thinking like, all right, this is this is a this is a writer's establishment because that's what backwards is. And so when, when you have that in front of you, you have no choice but to uh, at least perform or at least like kill yourself, you know, get right or die trying and shit. Like that's backwards. It's like get right or die trying. You don't have to get rich. <laughs> it would be nice. But, um, you know, yeah, you got to write them blades and shit. So um, Prem is an amazing writer, you know, hands down. So when I'm working with Prem, I always have to um, go into another echelon. And so that was the whole project. So that was the challenge for me just to meet Prem where he stands. So I listened to the EP and the album straight back to back. I listened to the album first and then the EP. So a little bit backwards, but um, I was struck by how many different things you guys reference, like with throughout the course <laughs> of the, the how are like 20 or so songs or something. And I was curious if you kind of, um, take the references as jumping off points or if it's just the things that are swimming around inside your mind anyway, it's like, it's old NBA players, it's game of Thrones, it's comic books, it's X-Men, especially. It's just like, there's so many different things that you're, mm -hmm. you're drawing from. And I guess I'm wondering, like, do you, do you kind of track it and be like, Oh, like, I don't want to mix metaphors. So I can't say like, I'm, you know, shooting like Cyclops on this thing. Cause I already said, uh, a different comic <laughs> book over here or like just how oh, you no, approach, a, um, like putting the puzzle together that's a great question Nate. um well just as writers and and, and the type of writing me and Prem try to achieve we go in not trying to repeat ourselves at all on anything we've done like we never really want to even use the same words if that's possible so definitely the metaphors don't um knowingly repeat i do have like a fresh mm -hmm. fetish you'll, if you look through my rhymes you'll find about five six fresh references and so, you know, uh, Chuck E.I., you know, I can't get over it. But um, it's pretty much like, um, it's like a wrecking crew pen. It's just how we all, you know, the, the MCs of wrecking crew, we just, we're, the thing about wrecking crew, I always want to elaborate to people is we're friends first and we just happen to make music and then we just happen to make it together. So like with all four of us are friends who talk about the NBA heavily. All um, two of us are comic book heads that collect or read heavily. Yeah. Um, one of us is a producer file who talks to producers like like Micah did on Heroes and shit. That's small. So another okay. cat is, is Prem, who's a literary genius and who has his pulse to the streets by the 
people. He just knows. You'd be surprised who he just knows. Oh yeah, you know, I was, you know Barry Bonds. You know, he came back, got a drink. You know, we <laughs> talked about we talked about the clear. I don't know Barry Bonds. No, but but my point is, so those references, that pool, that ether that we we pull from, that's just like Rec and Crew standard. Like we want the title. We gonna we gonna say the best NBA references, hands down. And like you know, Woods and and Elucid try to come for us, and like you know, Big Breakfast. A lot of cats try to come for us, but that's nah, man. And you know, dog, like this, this is us and shit. You know what I'm saying? This fight, fight right down to us, man. You know what I'm saying? We're, I'm gonna say the most obscure, especially basketball, man. If every Cedric Sabalos reference, you might get a Dwayne Shinsis. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you might get an Ekpe Udo. Like who knows? <laughs> yeah, I'm on. A, I'm on an island with the with the with the football. I mean, you know, only me and Woods talk about football anymore. Yeah, <laughs> they go half football. But we're done. You know, yeah, me, we're done. Me really, and Zilla talk the comic shit, so you know, exactly. I talk the sci-fi shit. So it's just comics it's just, are a bit know. of my blind spot. I don't. I don't know what he's talking about sometimes. So I mean, that's all. <laughs> <don't, laughs> that'll help me. Then I go back to you know check out what he's talking about. So it works out. <laughs> You know? We but definitely have, have to. Um, I never, we I never we did. research each other's shit post post coitus, yeah. if you will. We definitely yeah. like, oh man, what was that? Like, what did you say post coitus? Yeah, after we fuck with each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that, man. That's good podcasting, bro. I had to. I just had to call that out. Yeah, I know. I, was, I thought you were gonna let it slide. I thought you were gonna let it slide. That's I just thought you didn't know what it right, meant. Right. So after 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 the, the blindfold and the cigarette for the firing line, we usually uh go over each other's shit and maybe a year later we'll be like, oh, you know what I'm saying? But um like me and Prem have a natural um yin and yang to how we, you know, I have a different voice, he has a different voice, he has a little different literary references as do I, but we fit well together. It's like again, it's like the idea that was right in front of us. Cause anytime with early, early in Shrapnel, we brought it up to a couple of uh like writer friends. That was the first people that kind of knew cast that we knew that um like you know wrote hip-hop literature and all that other stuff and we just said oh yo um i'm working with prem and as soon as i would say it everybody be like oh that's a great idea and prem would have the same exact experience like oh yeah we're doing something with cash like oh that's that's a perfect idea so a lot of that stuff just was naturally born out of that it's just the lingo that we just you know feel comfortable yeah with. it was punctuated like, by when we meant when we would mention elusive they would be like oh wow with the beat right like mm. that that i think is uh that would pique people's interest and they were in the beginning they were like oh yeah like you and Castro, yeah it makes sense you guys have done songs but when we, we threw that wrinkle in i think that's what kind of made this record special so so i was checking out fashion week um you know the the video that you guys made and um it, it struck me because it's it's you know it's jarring and you guys have a lot of references and stuff but is it i just wanted to know what your sort of approach is to making music videos for your music and sort of aligning um all the dynamics and all, and all the visuals together like what was that process like well you know uh castro gets the credit for sure for lupin and blueprint uh i've been a fan of blueprint for a long time i had never met him and it's funny we had all these mutuals we had the same booking agent for years we just had never crossed paths in in person and he was like, yo, Print makes videos. They're crazy. He's willing to work with our budget. He's willing to come to New York. And I was like, oh, wow. I didn't even, you know, that wasn't even on my radar. And he came back with treatments and he had listened to the whole record. And he came out with the Fashion Week treatment. He came with three treatments. No yeah, yeah, for he sure. came with three treatments. We, if we had the money, we would have three videos. Yeah, true, true, true. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, Fashion Week struck, uh, stuck out to me. <clears throat> 
funny enough, I got a, a friend of mine and or Castro mentions that I know random people. I bartend uh, in Harlem. So I end up being around almost every type of person that you can imagine. Um, you know, like I could be on a first name basis with Sway or like a principal or a, a, a drug dealer or whatever. And so I come across a lot of people. So I'm like, hey, I need mannequins. Homeboy's like, oh, why don't you ask me? He runs a high-end like fashion spot and got me mannequins, got me tape and, and, and all the The night before the shoot. Right before the shoot, a clothing rack and all that. So I had to go down and pick it up the, the morning of the shoot. And, uh, and we ended up coming with all the props that, that print needed. He's like, we need this, 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 and this. And uh, I think trusting him was a big part of making this video successful. Trusting someone like print. If you don't uh, you know, have faith in the person that you're booking to do the video, I think that that's going to be a problem. Because then you're going to have all these tweaks at the end. And you're going to be like, whoa, do we have this? Can we get this? Uh, he had a literal checklist. I got all the stuff that I could. Castro uh, came through with some more stuff that we needed. And, and it was cool. It was, uh, I think, a tribute to his professionalism and us being able to, like, be hands-off. Because a lot of people are too hands-on, too. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's just um, like any director that could meet you halfway is always a blessing. Mm-hmm. We got another video coming for um for Aaron McKee, okay. And we shot mm-hmm. we shot that um we shot that one in Philly. Of course, um, we shot Fashion Week in New York. We shot Aaron special McKee in shout, Philly. Special shout out to to Print who was the first person on the set, and he came from Ohio. Yeah, I came from <laughs> across. I came from across town. Like literally just across the city, Castor came from Philly, and this cat blueprint was 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 early. So punctual, hire that man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so our, our next video was shot by our man Bob Sweeney, and that one has a little more lo-fi feel to it. Yeah, it's just yep. like us sitting on the Nas bench. Edge to it, but it's, but it's like, like, so it's us sitting on the Nas bench in front of a basketball court. If there was yeah. a Nas bench in um in Philadelphia, so I mean um sometimes we don't want to hit you over the head. With, with anything, um, it's enough to keep up with the bars and shit and the blades. So you'll have that. And sometimes the, um, the visual will be a, a little more demure, a little more subtle. And then other times, you, you know, we'll, we'll drop little things in there if we can. And I mean, to be honest, you know, being an indie musician, a lot of videos depend on budget. And so you try to um, do the most with less and, um, and try to make it as dope as possible. Sometimes you have more um, access to materials and shit um, than normal. So you can get a claymation video out, like on Blockhead's video a little while back. And then sometimes, you know what I'm saying, you just, like uh, a Griff Company, that's me and Zilla, we dropped a video. We, if, if we dropped a video recently, the fucking camera just turned around 360. So we just, you know, we just make make them and make what we can work. Um, look out, my next video, I will be doing the Spike Lee dolly shot throughout the whole video. <laughs> I've been working on that for a year and a half. <laughs> Okay. I don't care how. I don't even care. Yeah, do day, man. Around. Do it while there's quarantine, man. If you can, because you get. Yeah, I gotta build. I gotta build something. I gotta put it together. But next video, next okay. Castro solo. That's that's a promise. Like Spike Lee dolly shot. Check it out. You heard it. You heard it here. You so it so with uh with us living in bizarre world right now and um kind of everything that's going on, how did that the COVID shit impact? the rollout for this did you release it at the same time you were did you kind of have to rethink how to roll it out or does it does it not even matter we i mean you know you're always going to run into something and and 
none of us could have predicted this, obviously. Uh, or Jay Electronica deciding to drop his album on the same day. <laughs> it was like, it was like kind of like a comedy at that point. But like, um, I think there's there was, I think it benefited us in some ways, in in terms of people being home and being locked in that weekend or that you know, that was kind of the weekend. It all came to a head, especially here in New York City, and people were checking it. Um, you you know you hate you have to walk that delicate you know balance because people's lives are turned upside down people's families are in danger yeah. people are sick yeah and you don't want to be like check my album out but at the same time check we my worked album. really hard <laughs> yeah you know we yeah we, we worked really hard on this we put a lot of money and a lot of time a lot of effort and and we aren't going to be like let our album get buried in in the bad news so you know if you have time if now you might have extra time to check out the record so i think it worked for us in some ways other ways you know the retail aspect you know, I, my dream was to have vinyl in Amoeba and, and Fifth Element and all over. And it's we, in Amoeba. Just nobody can go inside. So nobody could go to Amoeba. You know what I mean? So, so, <laughs> so you had that. You, you, you miss the element of someone walking into the record store and picking it up or talking to my man uh, Evan or uh, Ray at Amoeba and being like, check out this record. Or, uh, and then Fifth uh, Element closed during all of this. You want the so guy behind the desk. As a person who used to work at a record store, you want the guy behind the desk at a record store to fuck with your music because that is the most influential dude or, or, or woman in, in that world. And I hope that's all coming back. I really do. And it's not like life. Will, I hope. I hope that everyone can, can you know, and I'm not for my own selfish reasons, just for, for everyone who, who, who enjoys that experience. So in that regard, we didn't get that. We didn't get that uh, chance. But uh otherwise i think it actually may have benefited so it benefited us in the in the way people were able to hone in and um focus i think um i think if not for um people being like gravity hitting them and they have to stay in place some people i think listen to the whole album you know straight through if you were doing it on a commute um you might have checked the track here check the track there if you were doing through apple music and all that stuff i think people would have been jumping around more so than hearing the full um length and breadth of the work and it's it's a sonic masterpiece. I, I don't tap tap myself on the back. That's all to Elucid and Willie Green. Um, and, um, it just sounds so great that I wanted people to to um, eat, eat it as a full meal or whatever. Okay. Um, you know, you you mentioned um, Elucid. Um, can you guys touch a little bit about like your history with him and just the process of working on this? Because obviously, I mean, he has a name and he definitely has a sound. And, uh, you know, just uh, let the people know a little bit about him and your guys' history. A lucid, yeah. the noise terrorist. Yeah. He's just, um, um, he's a good friend of ours, an amazing talent. Um, we, we always say about a lucid. Um, he's, he's been in the game for a minute. We've known him since early 2000s or whatever like that, or mid-2000s and stuff, and worked with him since then. And he's always dabbled with the production. Like Elusive would be the first one to tell you, don't call him a producer. He was saying that, shoot, when he gave us the beat, he was telling don't call him, <laughs> don't call him a producer. And, um, but my thing with Elusive is always like, I don't want to know how he makes his beat. It's, it's, it seems so unorthodox. It comes from such a special, um, unearthly place, probably where the soul gem is at. And he goes to the seals of soul gem land, he makes beats and he brings them back and shit and gives most of them the woods and all man. And it's like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. 
Yeah, I don't I don't want to yeah. know because it's just such a special thing. So anyway, um, yeah. The first time I ever heard him, uh, I had known his name for a long time, but I had never heard any of his records. I saw him at a show in like man, like 2010 or something like that, and he he was doing some crazy shit with this other cat. Like I. Man, it'll escape me. I'll find out after. I'm sure I'll find it'll come to me. But it was like this real experimental, wild shit. Concrete sound I system. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah concrete sound system. Yeah, concrete sound system, sir. And I saw that, and I was like, I don't even. I, my brain at that time, I didn't really know what to do with it. And then picture Milo uh, setup. Milo's current setup. Elusa was doing that back in 2010. But it was it was wild, noisy, wild, experimental. It was wild. Yeah. It was you know, and there was a, a devout crowd of people that were really into the shit. And it took it took a little bit for me to get into that, and then he did a cult favorite with uh, Ann Breakups, which was uh, at that time we were hanging out in at shows a lot. Uh, it was a really interesting era in New York, and that's when Woods dropped uh, History Will Absolve Me, or he dropped History Will Absolve wow. Me, then came Cult Favorite, and I was just like we were we were doing a lot of shows, we were seeing each other a lot. It was a really cool breeding ground. Me and Willie Green did a record then around that time. And, and I saw, I just saw him all the time. You know, we all went through different phases. He's like, you know, he's a he's a family dude now. Uh, I have, I don't see him often, nearly. But there was there was a there was a time when we would see each other a lot around doing shows. You know, we built a rapport, mutual respect, liked hanging out. It's different when you like drinking with somebody, you like kicking with somebody. Um, you know, sometimes you can like, you know, there's certain artists that like I've been friends with for for a long time or we seek each other out we text each other and we don't have a song together you know because it's not really about that and i think that's how it started from my my personal experience with lucid and i was just a fan of his work and i like kicking it with him i like kicking it with woods him and green it was funny it's good times uh, and breakups and breakups with character as well and uh you know time moved on and, and and just looking at his his catalog since that time and it's like man unassailable he he, he changes uh he progresses he doesn't do anything the same way twice nope. and just to hear him get excited about this project was the extra push i and i think caster needed you know it wasn't he didn't just send him over you know what i mean and he could have and he could have gone on to the next thing and nobody would have faulted him for that at all he already did enough but to to, to him to do more deeper dives into the beach there's one person that when Willie Green gets it, Elusive doesn't doesn't you know he's like that's cool it's in good hands now you know what I mean he they they Green's mixed so much of of Elusive stuff that he he allows him to to hand off so um I hope that answers the question but yeah that's that's what I got yeah. cool thanks guys um I got kind of a wrap up question here and we'd love to hear from yeah. you both on it maybe Castro first and then Prem. Um, so you obviously have a lot of chemistry. You've had kind of a, a interesting time putting this out because the world changed on you. But I feel like in our world, people are responding to it. It's a very good record. And um, I guess what I want to ask you guys is, is this an ongoing concern? Are you a group? Uh, is shrapnel going to be a thing? And we're going to see more from <laughs> you coming out at some point. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, um <laughs> No, yeah, no, we gonna, we we gonna keep cooking. Um, we we are a wrecking crew. That's our bigger crew. That's um, Zilla Rocker, Small Pro, Prem, and myself. So you know, we always working on shit. But we 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 do like to cultivate our solo careers. That's real important to us. And so when we just come up with a good idea, um, we just go for it. So like you know, if we're able to get another pack of elusive beats, 
and I have another producer in mind for our next foray into this thing. Um, who knows the condi- the conditions might be different because I'm not, probably not allowed in New York for a little while. Um, but you know we'll definitely keep keep rocking it. Look, this is our most successful record um, to date. So shit, if it's not broke, don't fix it. So um, we work yeah. well together. We we'll always keep you know rocking it. Um, we got more. We got a little more shrapnel coming, right, bro? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got something else. And uh, to piggyback off that, definitely, um, I think that was always the intention. I didn't think we were just going to do a one-off. Uh, we haven't taken it, you know, we haven't performed. Uh, we did a few shows here and there, and they were good, and, but we haven't been able to get the set together with the record that we wanted. Um, I had a crazy release show <clears throat> playing for Brooklyn. Had, a, had You know, we were in the works of Philly. We had New England, you know, starting to shape up. We were talking about Chicago. We wanted to come to the West Coast. That will still happen when it can, you know. You guys are in San Jose. Yep. Is that you are? You're all, you're all in San Jose. That's what's up. Yep. Uh, I think I did, I did back bar. Hey. Couple Sorry times. about that. <laughs> we'll be there. We'll, we'll be there. Apologies. It was, hey, it was look, 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 look. Yeah. It was what do we call it? it was it was a it was, it was a date on the board. You know, we we you know yeah, we had to yeah. get from, from here to there. You know, uh, and. <laughs> And that's what it was. And uh, but yeah, I mean, it's not going to stop. I, I mean, we'd be we'd be doing. I appreciate you saying all the kind words about the record, by the way. But we'd be doing it a disservice if we didn't, you know, we didn't take it to some some cities. Uh, I think it's. I think me and him are are also an experience live. Uh, you know, we're very comfortable improvising. We got a lot of good banter, and a lot of these songs, like they deserve to be heard live. I think in, yeah. in experience and. You know, we're hearing a lot of crazy reports about shows not happening in 2021 and all this stuff, and I don't know what that means. I I, I don't know that. I I think we might be in a good. Uh, there's no such thing as a good position to be in, but the fact that we aren't doing Madison Square Garden and we aren't doing, you know, uh, we're doing we're, we're more comfortable in the 50 to 75 cap rooms. Maybe maybe that opens up sooner. I don't know. Not, not open. We'll see. But, uh, you know, I hope the next time we see each other is, is uh, on your side of things, man. I love to. I'm traveling and touring is part of uh, my passion, and we got to get this, this fool out on the road, too. And, uh, and you know, people... Killing me, yo. Got to get to Europe. To believe, they have a tendency to believe uh, the movement more when they see it. That's, that's yeah, man. Okay. Got to get to France. France is next. And then we got... Um, yeah. yeah, Prem, tell them about the more shrapnel we got coming soon. Oh, I don't want to spoil, but we got some really good remixes. Really good okay. remixes. Uh, okay. The number one dude on our wish list, he uh, he answered the bell, and uh, I nice. think you guys. I, we know. I know that you guys fuck with this guy. Yeah. No. Okay. For sure. You, you definitely do. And okay. uh, a couple other. Yeah, we got. Really, yeah, we got a nice little companion piece coming it's, out. So I don't know what we're gonna do. Good. We'll do some. Yeah. Little epilogue. Yeah. Okay. Nice little bow. Dope. Dope. Well, we really thank y'all for coming on. Um, Want to remind everyone, Shrapnel is out right now. You can check it out on Bandcamp. Uh, as we just mentioned, touring is not going to be a thing for a while. So while your streaming is appreciated, your Bandcamp dollars are appreciated even more. Um, there's so- only 50, uh, 50 <laughs> copies of the vinyl left. Yeah, there's only seven on, Band- only seven on Bandcamp left, and then, and then the rest are at uh, the backward site. So, that's great to hear. Not even we'll playing. I've never been able to say we're going to tax you for, for the remaining copies. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Thank you guys. Dynamic pricing. 
do it, do what you got to do. We thank y'all for coming on, man. Uh, appreciate it so much. And we'll be on the lookout for the remix record. Y'all be well. Thanks, guys. No doubt. Shrapnel out. Peace. Peace, peace. hope you guys enjoyed that interview with shrapnel i know the audio was a little bit rough um it's kind of tough conducting these things via zoom call i appreciate you rolling with us uh modulating the volume up and down um it's hard to mix because the file comes all as one thing usually we have everybody on separate tracks but you guys don't care about stuff like that i apologize for the audio quality i do think it's kind of funny that uh one of the people on the call was outside when they were taking it so there's like weird little bird song in the background on a couple of the moments which i actually don't find to be the worst thing in the world um so wanted to take a quick moment to thank bus crates um you might know him from his work with the mc libretto um the instrumentals that we're using to score today's episode are from the instrumental version of their eternal riding album out on liquid beat records um big shout out to bus crates um really thought these beats would be perfect for today's episode and we thank him for letting us use them next up we've got a special segment that damone recorded um it's a tribute to q-tip on his 50th birthday a little while back and the 30th anniversary of people's instinctive travels on the paths of rhythm the tribe called quest album their debut album so those two things kind of coincided tip's birthday and the 30th anniversary of the album so damone felt compelled to record this kind of remembrance audio essay thing i think it turned out pretty cool so check it out um thanks everybody for listening dad bod rap pod check one two dad bod rap pod my name is damone carter aka dim one one third of the dad bod triumvirate um gonna take a stab at doing a little solo segment not something i was planning to do today but i woke up and did my usual scrolling through the stress tangle of twitter um which i'm not sure why i do that because it just makes me feel shitty but during that morning ritual, it was brought to my attention by a couple of folks that um, there were two important anniversaries going down today. There's a lot of unimportant anniversaries that get celebrated um, on the internet and especially on Twitter. But these two particular uh, dates um, really stand out and have made me want to record a little solo segment so we'll we'll see how this goes we'll see if uh producer suge leblanc deems this worthy for the airwaves but 
Uh, as it turns out, today, April 10th, on this day in 1990, a seminal album came out for both me and the entire hip-hop genre, and that is People's Instinctive Travels by A Tribe Called Quest. It's a really important album to me because this was the first non-Public Enemy album I had ever bought. Um, just to completely date myself, I started high school in 1990 when this record came out. And um, to that time, my entire collection had been comprised of either things I had recorded off the radio onto tape, tapes that I had dubbed from other people. Uh, again, as a teenager, I was broke. I really couldn't afford to buy many things, but um, I'm not sure if I bought it on release day, but sometime in April of 1990, um, I took my little $9 and went down to the mall where they used to have these things called music stores, where you would have tapes and CDs, even a little bit of vinyl at that time, although that was kind of phasing out. And um, yeah, I decided I was going to buy something that wasn't Public Enemy. I'm a huge Public Enemy fan. I a member of the fan club. Had all the their albums to that point. Had bought all the memorabilia. And I think I was just trying to kind of branch out a little bit um, and cop something new. So went down to the Sam Goody. Saw the spine of this, uh, of this tape people's instinctive travels. And the first thing that jumped out at me was just the name of the group, the tribe called quest, which at a time when, um, you know, rap was very, very, uh, macho, very, there was a particular imagery evoked with most, uh, rap group names and album names. And I just really remember thinking, like, this is the most unique uh, group name and album title I've ever seen. Now, of course, that sample size was really small because I was freaking 14. But it really struck me immediately. Um, and the album cover as well kind of drew me in, in that, again, I had not seen a, a rap or a 12-inch cover that... Uh, had this real kind of bohemian sensibility to it, even though I didn't really have words for it at that time. Somehow I knew that this album was for me. Like it, even before listening to it, I distinctly remember feeling like this is that new and different thing. And it's something that's going to speak to me. Um, so bought the tape. The ritual in those days was, uh, you know, taking the bus to the mall, buy the tape, you know, rip off the packaging, insert the tape into the Walkman, and your, you know, ride home was the was the listening party per se. So I remember putting it in my Walkman, walking back to the East Ridge bus loop. Shout out if you're from San Jose, you know what a a, a magical place the East Ridge bus loop was, or I guess maybe still is. And I'm walking back and the album starts 
and it starts with the crying baby, which I'm not sure at the time if I interpreted that as the birth of a new sound, which is what uh, I, I guess the intent of that intro was. But I, again, I knew it was something different. I knew that it was something for me. Um, and it didn't disappoint from that sense. This is probably something that we would, we could look back and say it's a, it, the album was a piece of uh, Afro-futurism, um, just really ahead of its time, um, strange, quirky, but also um, incredibly groovy. You know, I will say, like most people will tell you, not the best album in the Tribe uh, canon, but I do believe this is the album that is the most Q-tip. His voice, concepts, and really his taste in records really come through um, on people's instinctive travels. It's really... Um, a showcase for him and this budding genius um, that he was or that he is, excuse me. So um, the record had a really profound impact on me and it also helped me understand there were these new emerging threads of hip hop that were going all over the place. And so I remember playing People's Instinctive Travels for my cousin uh, my cousin Shannon, shout out to Shannon Dog. He um, he's the one that kind of got me into Public Enemy, and I, I got a lot of my uh, you know secondhand records and and dubs from him. And I remember kind of excitingly trying to show him this album, and he was like, "Ah, this is kind of goofy. Like, what is this?" I remember playing Pubic Enemy for him, and he was just like, "No." This is not, <laughs> this is not where it's at. This is not dope. Um, and that was really the first time that I remember something like that happening, that there wasn't a true consensus um, around what was considered dope. And there was probably some age and uh, musical taste differences there that were emerging. And I think that was even new for rap, right? Like uh, the whole West Coast, East Coast thing hadn't really uh, got going yet, but there was this sense that what Tribe was doing, uh, also De La Soul, what they were doing um, was new and different. Some people mocked it. I obviously gravitated towards to it, toward it um, because it definitely spoke to me. And so it's wild to me that this album is 30 fucking years old. When you have tangible, visceral memories that happened 30 years ago, it does mean you're old as fuck. Um, but what can I say? Uh, also, 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 Friday, April 10th, 1970, um, or maybe it wasn't a Friday, but April 10th, 1970 is also a huge date in that that is Q-Tip's birthday. Q-Tip turns 50 today, which is wild to say because hip-hop as a genre is still struggling with this idea of how to age gracefully and how to stay cool uh, past a certain point. And Q-tip has to be, you know, 
one of the ultimate torchbearers in that category, or maybe an exception that proves the rule or breaks the rule or something. But Q-Tip turns 50 today. I would be hard pressed to find someone in hip hop who is cooler, um, air quotes you can't see, hashtag Nate LeBlanc. You would be hard pressed to find someone who is literally cooler than Q-Tip. And I say this because his sense of what is dope has been adopted not only in broad swaths of hip hop, but it's bled into other music. You know, I, I listen to house and R&B things and wonder um, what would these things sound like were it not for Q-Tip showing you um, the genius of Mini Ripperton and Rotary Connection and his uh, mixing engineering prowess with blending incredible bass lines with um, really dope drum patterns, kicks, you know, the whole low end theory obviously was a, was a pronounced experiment in that that was very successful and has really uh, reshaped our understanding of what makes dope rap music. And if that was his only contribution to the culture, he would be cool as fuck. But we obviously know it goes a lot deeper than that. So when we think about lyrically, um, what Q-Tip has done, what he represents, it's interesting that he's never on these kind of who's your top five list. He's never involved in these kind of comparative uh, rap listy things that we like to do. And it's interesting because um, I think obviously one of the best voices to ever do it, just you could probably rap the phone book and make it sound interesting. Um, I think Q-Tip is often left out of these conversations because we are just coming into a space where we have the uh, vocabulary and level of understanding to describe what is dope about a Q-tip. Uh, I remember at the time, you know, circa 90, early 90s, there was an idea that Tribe was dope. There was a school of thought that Tribe was dope, but that Q-tip and Fife were a little bit subpar as MCs, that they were kind of getting by because the beats were really dope which was always weird to me, but then at the same time, not being able to quite explain why timing, cadence, word choice, um, concept, song structure, all those things, Q-Tip excelled at very, very early on before um, you know the genre had really worked out how to do that properly. He was on the, the vanguard of that. And I feel like, that's part of the reason why he's still able to record and put out albums is because the ideas and his approach to the rhyme has aged incredibly well. And hopefully at some point we'll start kind of putting him in the, the category of the whatever, the goats of the genre. Um, but if those two things, if only his production with the Tribe Called Quest and his lyrical prowess were the only two things that he contributed to this culture, he would still be uh, the coolest motherfucker alive. But you add to that, he produced incredible records for other artists, uh, 
basically discovered Mob Deep, um, helped produce for and kind of nurture Nas. Um, recently was an executive producer on a Danny Brown record that I really liked, um, just to kind of give you the scope. And then really helped, I think, the hip hop world um, understand the genius of Jay Dilla. I know Dilla had, um, you know, a number of different folks who kind of helped bring his music into the foreground. But I think um, Q-Tip in particular probably was a very, very early adapter in understanding um, the level of genius that uh, Jay Dilla possessed and helping him to get a platform um, in in music so that we would be able to to you know digest and understand what a genius jay dilla was so it's this whole mixture of things you kind of add to that uh tip is an incredible live performer i've seen him dj before he's a dope ass dj um i've told this story on on some other uh dad by rap pods but i saw him dj once at a club in brooklyn and hop off the decks and start a electric slide like a 200 person electric slide in the middle of the party and just he has an energy um that you hear on the records and you actually see it if you see him um it's just really incredible that all the the talent and vitality could be like wrapped up in one person so we've said a lot about tribe on this program i would encourage y'all to check out some of our other episodes uh our Tribe Spectacular, which I believe was episode 100, um, is a really, really good episode to check out if you want to kind of go further down the Tribe rabbit hole. Um, we also had two different conversations with Prince Paul where he illuminates on some of the, uh, you know, the history of native tongues as well as what it was like to work with the young Q-tip. Um, those are also great episodes. And yeah, obviously, as a rap fan of a certain age, um, there's gonna be those certain groups that are, you know, legendary titans. Um, Tripod Quest is one of those groups. Q-Tip is one of those guys and People's Instinctive Travels and Paths of Rhythm um, is one of those albums. And so, uh, yeah, that's what I got. Dad Bod Rap Pod. Please follow us on the socials at DadBodRapPod on Twitter, at DadBodRapPod on Instagram. You can listen to us on all the fly platforms where podcasts be at, um, including our UK syndication partner, kiki.co.uk. You can check us out there. Um, we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast network shout out to pantheon and the other 50 plus music shows the mtv of podcasting uh that's what we're rolling with and yeah stay tuned more dad bod rap pod
All right, Dad Bod Rap Pod. We are back live from Zoom Land, Zoomtopia. Um, you just heard me talking for a long time. And uh, that's what we call in the biz podcasting. So uh, that was my first go at kind of doing a little weird solo segment. And hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Um, if you felt, you know, seen or something resonated with you or you thought I was talking absolute nonsense, you can definitely hit us up at at Dad Bod Rap Pod on Twitter, at Dad Bod Rap Pod on IG, um, for all of our folks across the pond and actually anywhere. You can stream our program on kiki.co, kiki.co.uk. We're also on all of the regular uh, platforms. And because we love y'all and we believe in self-love, uh, Dad Bod Rap Pod is partnered with adamandeve.com. If you go on to adamandeve.com, probably not at work. You probably don't want to do it at work. But if you go on adamandeve.com and check out uh, some of the fly products they have there, enter the code DADBOD and you can get 50% off on almost everything except that stuff Dave be buying. That's a little, that's a little higher end. Um, but if you use the code DADBOD, you get up to 50% off. And I guess 10 free gifts, six of which are movies. Um, I can't speak to uh, what the content of said movies will be, but Adam and Eve is not biblical, as it turns out. They've got, they've got a different set of products. So check it out, adamandeve.com. Uh, use the code DADBOD. And yeah, keep enjoying yourself. Uh, health, love, positivity and the dad bod rap pod.